0: Stanford University. You're listening to a podcast from Stanford University's Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. I'm Diantha Parker. Today on the podcast, we're talking about a collaboration between the Stanford Center and sociologist Paula England of New York University. The College and Personal Life Study is a euphemistic title, but my conversation with England was anything but She wanted to know about unplanned pregnancies and why low-income, less-educated women have more unplanned pregnancies than their better-off peers do. England also wondered why many of the women who decided to keep their babies were usually not married, even if they were still with the fathers of their children.
1: She says they felt marriage was a step that required even more planning and money. They think you should be able to be paying all your bills, you know, the couple have their own place, rent it, if not buy it, before marriage. Now, this is actually a higher standard than people generations ago had for marriage. So they don't see themselves as ready to meet that bar, and they don't really see when they will be. England asked respondents
0: why they didn't see a similar bar at a pregnancy and childbirth. Answers varied, but she thinks it's partly because, economics aside, women can't have kids forever. Even so, many of England's respondents said having an early pregnancy wasn't something they'd recommend, and certainly not to their own kids.
1: If you ask them, as I did in another study, what age would you think would be good for your child to have their first child? People who had their first child at 17, 18, 19 will almost always, men and women, say oh, 25 you know, first they need to finish school and they need to get a good job and they need to be in a good relationship. So they don't see the path they took as ideal, but then they weren't in the ideal circumstances either.
0: But England says the real key to understanding why these unplanned pregnancies happen is understanding how these women in her sample use contraception. England says most respondents more or less understood birth control and felt they had access to it. Where all that broke down was in using contraception consistently. England says one of the main drivers of inconsistency here is the idea of what psychologists call efficacy, or the ability to self regulate and organize. England says some low income women reported being organized in other parts of their lives, but that their efficacy went out the window when it came to practicing consistent contraception. Her research points to some surprising reasons for this. One was the women's attitudes toward the pill. It's the form of contraception that's arguably most under a woman's control. But England's respondents almost universally hated the pill, saying its negative side effects, physical, emotional, or both, made it impossible
1: to use. Our study really can't tell are these real or imagined, but women feel that. We have a great quote in the In the uh, study, a woman said, well, all birth control, by which she meant the pill, makes you kind of crazy. Without the pill, they reported that using another method was often the male partner's decision.
0: Now, there's a stereotype of men as a potential hindrance to consistent birth control use, like refusing to use condoms. And England says there was some of that. But she found a
1: sizable group of men who were actually the more conscientious partners. Research on the web, what's the best method, talk to her about, you know, I don't think this method's going to work for you because I think you're going to have a lot of trouble taking it every day, you know, what about if we tried this? And if you had a young woman who, for whatever reason, her life's chaotic or she just has a hard time with self-regulation and she's really inconsistent, sometimes with the, you could see that in her other partners, but with a particular boyfriend, his consistency overrode hers. In other words, he just made sure that either, you know, he was always showing up with condoms or as it went on that, you know, he was monitoring when she running out of the supply of pills. He was even reminding her if they were living together to take it. So sometimes guys were really helpful and made all the difference in someone being consistent. But many of the men in her sample did resist using
0: contraception consistently. So England found that, on average, women's reliance on male partners to use birth control tends to lead to more unplanned pregnancies. She says this was especially true because when not using the pill or condoms, the most common form of birth control couples used was the next thing to
1: nothing at all. Demographers call it coitus interruptus or withdrawal and on the street it's called pull-out. It's a lot better than nothing, but it has a pretty high failure rate, and um, it often breaks down in the execution, shall we say. But England still wondered why more
0: of these low-income women didn't see unplanned pregnancy as too high a cost, high enough to insist that their partners use condoms, or to ratchet up their own consistency in taking the pill or using another method. Answers varied. But England wonders if it's because having a child can be a bright spot for people whose daily lives are otherwise not so promising.
1: Whose jobs are often boring and sometimes humiliating, who sometimes have difficult relationships, and you know, a baby is fresh and new and there's hope about their future. And so it is enticing sometimes, even in situations where People wouldn't say, I was intending on getting pregnant then. In any case,
0: many of England's respondents didn't see that a baby would wreck their futures economically or otherwise. Quite the opposite. They might not have high economic prospects, but they're not going to wait out the recession to go ahead with their own lives. So if that means having a child earlier than they'd hoped, so be it. You've been listening to a podcast from Stanford's Center for the Study of Poverty and Inequality. Our funding comes from the Elfenworks Foundation. Our music is by Pharos. The editor of this podcast series is Christopher Weimer, and I'm Diantha Parker. Thanks for listening.